Welcome to RGM. Are you in a band? Come and join us. Simply click on the RGM submission page, submit your music, and we'll sort the rest. Here we go. Podcast time, ladies and gentlemen. You already know it's a podcast time, don't you? You're listening to a podcast. <laughs> what a great way to start. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the RGM Experience Music Industry Podcast with me, Carl Maloney. How are you doing, Yarn? Hey. A little introduction for you. We're here to discuss what's going on in the, within the music industry. And in, in, in specifics... We like to talk to the people that have lived a life within it and have got a story to tell. So that's what this podcast's all about, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a new week, and we have an amazing guest for you today, ladies and gentlemen. We've got Joe Carnell Jr. Uh, from Milburn. Good cop, bad cop. Played with Reverend and the Makers. Does his own Christmas gigs in Sheffield every year. Uh, played in the book club. Uh, an amazing history in music. And we have a right good old chat about it today for you, ladies and gentlemen. That's the episode coming up for you today. So how's your week been then? I always ask. I'm not expecting a reply because that's impossible. Um, But if you've had a good week, nice one. If this week's been a struggle, and I know it is for a lot of people out there in the world, um, you know, just talk about it. There's a lot of things affected us at, at the minute as humans out there in the world. Politics. Um, everybody's shouting at everybody online, aren't they, as always? <laughs> but it's not the real world, ladies and gentlemen. The real world is human contact, uh, human uh, endeavour. Um, let's all be nice to each other. And uh, if you are struggling out there in the world, you know, do feel free to speak up. And there's people out there that will that will hear your voice. And you can email us at the RGM podcast as well, Carl at RGM uh, If you if you're really struggling at the minute. Not that I'm a trained professional or anything, you know. You know. Um, there's a fine line there, isn't there? Um, but I'm, 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 just, I'm just well aware that you know, there's a lot of struggle out there at the minute in the world. And we wish you all the best and hope you you all work through it like, like stars you are. So, ladies and gentlemen, what's been going on at RGM this week? Uh, it's been quite quiet, um, you know, post the festival season. Uh, all bands are out touring at the minute, so we're getting some good live stuff out there for you. Um, there's not as many singles, albums out at the minute. Uh, congratulations for the big push that uh, Apollo Junction have just been on for their album. As I record this, I don't know their uh, chart position, but uh, I know it was looking strong for them. Just to chart for that band would be amazing. So that, that's always nice to see a band pushing it out there and going for an album push, you know, it's nice. Congratulations to you guys. You worked hard, whatever the result was. You know, you deserve every bit of success and well done on that. Um, yeah. Steady week, you know. It's nice to have a steady week. It's half term, isn't it? I've had a bit of time off work, you know, just chilling. A bit of time off RGM, you know. It's, it's nice. You can, I get a bit obsessed with these type of things. I, I do need a break. And I feel like I've had a nice break, which is nice. Um, so, yeah, if you've been expecting emails, I've been getting back slower because I've just been having time off. You need it, don't you, humans? Um, so, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, as always, we've got a great chat. And today, ladies and gentlemen, let's crack on with the interview with Joe Cornell Jr. Thank you. Take it away, mate. 
I'm all right. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. I'm always. Uh, I've I'm, had a shower for you, actually. Have you? <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, Very nice. it's half term, so normally I won't bother, but um, yeah, <laughs> put a frock on for you. I'm, I'm always fascinated when somebody's got junior at the end of the name, mate. Ah, yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> What's that all about? First of all, Let's there is a reason. Yeah, I mean, I'm partially some sort of stagecraft going on. Okay. I mean, it's hardly it's hardly Elton John, is it, or Stevie Wonder? <laughs> okay. um, it's a start. Yeah. That came about actually because my granddad, who uh, passed away a couple of years ago oh, now, okay. he's he's also called Joe Carnell. Hmm. Um, or oh, he was also called Joe Carnell, and we were going to get into this later on, weren't we? The um, in the podcast, the Arctic Monkeys thing, which yeah. inevitably, inevitably haunts me like a ghost. Yes, fair enough. <laughs> but even more so because my, my cousin's the bass player. I don't know if you knew that. Yes. Um, so I next the bass player in the Monkeys. And about, I can't remember what year it was, but we went down London to watch them, at, I think in Shepherd's Bush or somewhere. I don't know. Some monster arena, as yeah. usual. Yeah. Um, and with Nick being in the band, a lot of my family went down. So my other cousins and my nan and granddad. Mm. Um, my old granddad went to the guest list before me <laughs> and, and took my guest list Ah, right. because got we've got the same name. Got you. And it was at that point, I think we need to do something about it. <laughs> so so I got... had to distinguish myself from my granddad because they wouldn't let me into the gig. Ah. Um, so he'd taken my space um, unbeknownst to him because he, you know, he just rocked up and said his own name as he, you know, so, so you didn't, know, you didn't know get who in I am. I managed to get in. You, you managed not, to sort not, of not to worry. I had to get our Nick to, to run from the dressing room. But, um, <laughs> right, fair enough. Yeah, it was at that moment I thought, oh, we can't have this again. Um, and just, you know what, it's, I just quit. It, when I put junior at the end of it, it just yeah. reminds me of my granddad, to be honest. Oh, nice. So it's quite a nice thing to do. Yeah. Well, um, online you put, you, you retweeted a picture of you, the, the, the old Milburn lads from 2020, uh, 2005, knocking about on a fo- football pitch and you were taking piss out of yeah. the football that you had at the time. So yeah, the it, jeans, the jeans. <laughs> the jeans I, mean, yeah, I remember those days, man. I remember those fucking flared jeans and you were in This you, is it. Everyone, yeah. everyone on, on Twitter is like slagging us off for the jeans. <laughs> like, and, and, and obviously I was too, I'm, yeah. I'm, but everybody were at it. It's not, it weren't just everybody's doing it. We used yeah. to, you know, I don't know if you remember, like just constantly standing on your jeans. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and them being hammered. absolutely disgusting, but yeah. that were that were cool apparently, and yeah. everyone used to do it. Yeah, but, uh, and the yeah. footwear. Yeah, it, it, it took me back because I was a lad, you know, a similar age to you guys at the time with with the flare jeans, with the ridiculous footwear for uh, yeah. for, for, for for all times. And it, but that that were that were <laughs> an age where you couldn't get in places without shoes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it would be a bit of a fifty-fifty gamble, where you know if you can if you can get into like a Leadmill or a where maybe not Leadmill, but um, pubs and what have you. So um, maybe it was it, it stemmed from a bit of that. But yeah, now you just look like someone who goes to watch rugby union, don't you? Well, the the secret I always had for that because I remember it very well is wear black socks and put your black socks over your trainers. Oh, nice. And they, and they never notice that you're not wearing shoes. No, and then as soon as you get in, yeah, sort of out. You sort of, yeah, sort of, yeah. So, there we go, mate. Uh, yeah. Well. <laughs> if, if I if I had a time machine, I'd be I'd be buying yeah, you're, you're loads of black it, socks. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, let, let's rewind a little bit. Let's go back to a young Joe Cornell uh, before you were into music and stuff. What what were you like as a kid growing up in? Uh, did you grow up in Sheffield? Yeah, I grew yeah. up in uh, Chapel Town, right? Okay. Um, North Sheffield, and then yeah. basically I've slowly worked my way into Sheffield Centre. Oh, nice. um, and now I live in the posh end because yeah. I'm a twat. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I grew up in Chapel Town with my brother. Um, 
met the rest of the Melbourne lads playing football. Yeah. Um, we always used to play on, on Sunday mornings for yeah. Ecclesfield Red Rose. Yeah. Um, and the band was something we did in the summer because we had nothing else to do. Yeah. Um, so as a lad, what was it like? Yeah. Uh, relatively, I weren't as much of a show-off as you might think. I think I've blossomed yeah. into more of a show-off. Okay. Um, yeah, I was just, you know what? I was Mr. Average Joe. Yeah. I was, you know, I was I was a nice, easygoing lad. I don't think I was too much trouble. Yeah. And at school, I was pretty easygoing. Liked to play football. Okay, it not particularly good. Poor left foot, bad in the air, not fast enough. <laughs> Could see a pass. Um <laughs> Yeah, academically pretty average. And then and then I think I got to like year nine or ten. Um and I really got into history. Um and I was really good at it, like scarily good. And that shocked me and everyone else because I'd just been so like under the radar. It was always my brother that was the smart one. Um and I just yeah, and something switched when I realised I could I could actually figure out how to do these exams and they're not that hard if you put your mind to it. Yeah. And I ended up like really doing really well on my GCSEs and then I did incredible at my A-levels. And I got um, I got offered a place at Cambridge University. There we go. Are you, to do like history. From Sheffield off to Cambridge, wow. Well, I'd sacked it off enough. For, uh, <laughs> okay, fair enough. For a lifetime of disappointments in the music industry. <laughs> um, but it was really strange, yeah. I was Nothing was ever really expected of me academically yeah. and then I found found something I was passionate about, history at the same time as music yeah. and those two things just took took over my life were there certain parts um, of history that grabbed you more than others uh i'm a modernist i'm not i can't be i have to teach some of it but i'm not big yeah. into like tudors and stewarts and stuff right, like okay. i can't i don't know just maybe just can't relate i don't feel like a yeah. connection there there are there are obvious connections to be made but mm. in sort of a in, in terms of a passion i'm a modernist like world war one interwar yeah. period spanish civil war world war Two, what came of it civil rights all that sort of all that jazz because it's yeah. it seems to have a proper bearing on where we are now so yeah and that's just something i will like music i think it's just something i'll always be into now it's just sort of ingrained in me um what? so much so that i teach it was it was it all around you was music all around you while you were doing your history studies and that kind of stuff then how did yeah how did, yeah, how so, did you like you had this passion for history uh, what was music part of the history stuff as well, or was it more, um, um, you know, world uh, activist type things? Well, we grew up in a house which liked football. My dad was a good footballer, he says. Um, <laughs> we Sheffield Sheffield Wednesday house, okay, and music, and that was it. There was about three books in our house. Wow. My mum and dad pretend that you know they they always you know. Um, create an environment for me to thrive but that's utter bollocks <laughs> i think i read about three books until i was about 16 um so you know me being the middle class dad now i'm trying to make my kids read all the time because yeah, it okay. is kind of the secret to everything to be quite honest yeah um so the the history was not around me whatsoever to be quite honest i, yeah. I, I found that at school was a bit like it's like kind of like escapism but music nice. certainly was i've always had a my mum and dad always had decent taste in music and i think that that helps a, an awful lot what what was the like the first band that you heard and you thought ooh ooh it's it's affecting me this music the um loads loads but the earliest memories my dad used to be and still is massively into Thin Lizzy oh. the seventies rock group nice. um now people have perceptions about Lizzy which I need to quash because <laughs> <Go on. laughs> well they sort of bundle them into this sort of like Larry guitar solo-y type pants yeah. thing, which there are elements of, and that yeah. was sort of a product of the, the era, wasn't it? But yeah. 
Phil Linnett, the lead singer and songwriter, was just an incredible, had an incredible ear for melody. You, you know, you've got this guy who's like six foot three, he's mixed race lad with an afro from Dublin. Yeah. Already it's like, oh God, who is this guy? Um, bass player, great voice, great melodies. And, and a lot of that, Milburn nicked because we were all, in, all our dads listened to Lizzie growing up. Yeah. Um, and actually, with the Lizzie stuff, like, yeah, there's a guitar solo in every song, which is pretty annoying sometimes. <laughs> you could just, you, if you just deleted them, and you can play you can play songs on an acoustic, which sound, sounds mad, but any song you can put play on an acoustic, I think, or a piano, and it still works, is, is a decent tune. Um, so, yeah, Lizzie was was a big part. Um, Clash, Jam, Beatles, um, George <laughs> how, Michael. How come you said Beatles like that, then? Because there's uh, <laughs> Abbey Road on your Oh, right, right. Okay, fair enough. Right. Yeah, I forgot. I always forget about that thing. Um, <laughs> no, well, I think Beatles, it's just standard, isn't it? If, right. if you've not heard the Beatles by the time you're 16, something's yeah, okay. got seriously wrong in your life, okay. and I think the NSPCC should be, should yes, be called. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to listen to the Beatles. It's, it's, just, it's just the law. Yeah. Um, what else did we, did we grow up with? And then, and then we sort of... So that was like dad's and mum's record collection, um, amongst loads of other things I've not mentioned. And then we ended up, I think, growing up in a in a great time for music. Mm. Um, so we, well, not nineties were a bit of a weird, early nineties were a bit of a weird time. Obviously, then we got Britpop, but we were kind of already fifteen, sixteen by that point. Yeah. I learned to play bass by yeah trying to be Phil in it, but also like listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Which might sound a bit weird for people because they don't definitely don't hear that in our music, but I think we were just sort of encouraged by the challenge because they're all great players. Yeah, and then then we got well into like Rage Against the Machine, who were also all great players. Mm. So you just tried to mimic what they did and, and play as well as they could. And I think that sort of set us up for when we decided to do like an indie thing because we could all play and we could kind of play better than most bands at the time, and we were the youngest. Um, so when people saw us live, they thought we were great. Um, well, did they? Yeah, some did. Yeah. Enough people thought we were good. Yeah, definitely. Clearly. Well, the uh, the the origins of a band uh, never cease to amaze me. Every time I speak to a band, well, a lot of time when I speak to bands, they all just say, "Oh yeah, we're like like I presume for you guys, you all met playing football, and then you just said, let's start a band, and then it just happened." <laughs> yeah, probably a little bit more difficult than that. Yeah, well, that, that when bands tell me that kind of stuff, they, they kind of you, they kind of describe it that way, and I'm always um, interested in the mechanics of it, really, because it's never that easy. Um, no, so how, no, how did yeah. it like blossom further for you guys to be something serious? Yeah, well, I suppose when you're going through it, you don't you don't step back and look at the sort of little moments that change everything. Yeah, um, I think mostly responsible is Greeny, the drummer from Melbourne, mm. who. Um, who was having drum lessons at the time. He was the one who could actually play something. Mm. And his dad used to be in bands and he was a great guitarist. Mm. Um, so I wasn't in the band at first, yeah. believe it or not. Mm. I was just the younger, annoying brother. Um, <laughs> the other three would get together at Greenie's Nan's Loft, in Greenie's Nan's Loft of nice. all places. And I don't know what they were playing. I mean, it would have been shit because I weren't there. But... Um, <laughs> They were rehearsing stuff, and I think they realised they needed a bass player. Um, and I don't know how the hell that that became me. Um, I have I, I had absolutely no interest in the bass at that point. Yeah. I mean, this is when I was like thirteen. Yeah, I didn't I didn't even know what a bass was to be quite honest. Yeah. I didn't even know how to tune it. I just put the pegs so they look like they did last week. <laughs> right, and, yeah. and nothing to do with the sound. <laughs> um, 
And I just sort of got roped into it. I don't even think it was my choice, to be quite honest. Mm. And then the natural thing was, well, we're just playing these musical, like interlude things or whatever, instrumentals. Um, we need someone to sing and no one would sing. And me, this is when I, I kind of think that I actually am a show off at heart. Yeah. I must have been because I went, I'll do it. Because um, maybe I'd done some like, I don't know, maybe I'd done, I think I was Elvis in uh, Joseph's Technical Dreamcoat in year six. And I got a bit of a buzz out of that. You think you are. Um, you know well, damn well you was. <laughs> I, I, I know. I, I had a big sequin suit on. I was Elvis. Good yeah. Good I, I was Good Elvis. Good um, yeah. And I, did, I think I did some like a karaoke thing uh, once and I just, I, I made people laugh, I think. Or I don't know if they were just gobsmacked. I don't know what we're doing, but yeah. it seemed to work. So maybe, obviously I didn't think about this at 13, 14 years old, but maybe there was something inside me which went like, yeah, I can do it. And I've always had this, I've always, this is what my, I want my kids to desperately have because my wife doesn't have it. I've always had this self-belief and I don't know why. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, other people might call it arrogance, which I, I don't think is fair. I just always believe that I could do something. Mm. Not, not like, you know, go to the moon or anything, but if there's anything that needs learning or working out or figuring out or whatever, I, I'll do it. I'll have a go. I'll, at least, at the very least, I will have a go at it um, and just had a go at singing and it worked. But that was probably more strength of belief in yourself than anything else. And did you did you train the voice? Did you have, were you, did you no. always get up at karaoke and just have a burn after a few beers and that kind of stuff? Was, no. it, was it anything, no. you, singing the shower or anything like that? Any signs before you went no. into it? No, I've never t- t- never taken singing seriously until yeah. more, I'm not like I could take it sing- seriously now, but <laughs> what used to happen, I mean, I don't know if you, if your experience has yeah. been in bands, but you used to go in a studio, you'd spend like three days getting a fucking, sorry, I'm swearing a lot, <laughs> okay. getting um. I shouldn't be swearing because I'm a school teacher. <laughs> uh, let's edit that. It's three days getting a flipping um, snare sound and then guitar, wow. you know, all hours and hours and hours. And then you'd whack the vocals on in about 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and looking back now, I just thought that's absolutely insane. That's yeah. the thing that your ears as a human's naturally drawn to. And we just used to rush the hell out of it. Um, so now when I go in the studio, I do sort of give, give a lot more love to the vocals mm. and think about backing vocals and whatnot. So, so the the origins of the band you started playing in in the loft. Start yeah. to, did you start writing your own stuff straight away, or were you just doing like a bit of Lizzie we're stuff, just, or just playing around? We just did covers, just yeah. sort of learn. Well, we, we would write stuff, but we wouldn't ever really show anybody. Yeah. Um, we just got really good at playing, mm. and I think that sorted us out for when we actually started to write. Um, so yeah, we first and foremost got really good at playing, and so people friends and family saw us live and and we used to you know do pretty well and then we started to introduce like maybe we had a 15 song set we'd do like three of our own mm. then five of our own yeah. and eight and then no covers whatsoever yeah. and this is all taking place before we were like before i was 16 mm. um we did i did we did loads of gigs as i was as i was growing up as a kid um and it just meant that by the time we sort of got to a place where we had something to write about let's face it yeah. um we were a bit better placed musically. What, what was Sheffield like around you at that time? Because uh, just remembering back myself, uh, I, I were in a band at a similar kind of time, um, you know, just starting to piss about, doing the odd little demo down at Yellow Arch and just doing, yeah. spending 300 quid and doing three songs in a day at Yellow Arch, just rushing yeah. something out <laughs> just so you've yeah. recorded something, you know, because it, yeah. it's nice, isn't it? Um, what was it like? What was Sheffield like around you music-wise for you? 
for you lot at the time because for, for, for me there wasn't much it wasn't like post pulp and that kind of stuff we were kind of waiting for something to happen in Sheffield and it felt like it'd been a long time with nothing had really uh, yeah. nothing new were pushing through into the mainstream type stuff I agree yeah when we when we started it just um, obviously this is like the calm before the storm isn't yeah. it but it, it just felt like there were loads of old people doing stuff and that's coming yeah. that's because I was that's because I was 14 15 so yeah. everybody over the age of 22 <laughs> yeah. was old yeah. um to me <laughs> and and i i attribute a lot of that era's success to obviously there's loads of respect now for these guys and and rightly so but i i couldn't give a shit about pulp when i was growing up yeah. i was like anti pulp yeah. i saw this bloke who i think you know i've now grown to realize is an incredible frontman an yeah. incredible person and, and songwriter but i saw jarvis cocker as what's he poncing around up there for <laughs> yeah. they were just like anti yeah. where i was from in the city what yeah. i did with the friends i surrounded myself with yeah. wrongly but mm. what it did do is it gave us a bit of a fire to mm. do something for ourselves yeah. and i think in the wake of the monkeys and the the new yorkshire thing and all those bands that came with it i think a lot of the younger bands have made the mistake of just trying to do what we did yeah. Um, if I'm a new band coming from Sheffield, I, I I don't play a guitar pretty much, or I really change what we're about because you're never going to be able to recreate what happened, you know, between 2003 and 2006 in this city. It mm-hmm. was incredible. Yeah. Um, so you've kind of got to do your own thing. Um, so we, I think we were trying to be anti pulp, definitely anti Def Leppard, definitely mm-hmm. not Human League or yeah. Heaven Seventeen or any of that. Yeah. Um, now I'd bloody love to do it. Yeah. Um. But I think that that get that set us apart a bit and, and made us made us feel young and different. Um, yeah, I think have I answered your question? Yeah, no, that, that's great. And uh, yeah, just to, you're just talking about what Sheffield like around you. Um, perfect. The, yeah, um, yeah. So it, yeah. it seemed to be like people in bands were a lot older than us, mm. um, and they didn't. We didn't feel like they represented us. And then fast forward eighteen months, and then the world turned on its head. When was the first time that you started to realise that, oh, we've got some traction here uh, as a band? And you start, you know, you, you, you mentioned yourself, you, you whittled down the cover songs, um, the crowds kept coming, it felt like, you know, you were doing your own stuff and they weren't just here yeah. to, it weren't just family and friends coming to see you, there were more people coming to see you. How, how did that feel as a band to start thinking, you know, there's, there's something in it here, we've got, we've got some, a little bit of traction here. It's starting. I'd say like to any aspiring artist or band, mm. The first, the moment you get someone stood in front of you who you don't know mm. singing your song back to you, it's it's like it's the start of the addiction for me, mm. um, because that gave me a, a real like yeah. buzz. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't believe how something I'd been a part of had an effect on someone to sing those words. Because you think yeah. about it, you've got to have a be like pretty drunk yeah. or really into something as a, I would say, a northern man, to, to go and stand in a room and then and, and give give your heart to something. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. don't want to sound like a Luddite or a Neanderthal, <laughs> but I think it's there's some truth in that. Yeah. Like, if I go and commit and, and sing my heart out to something, I've got, to, I've got to bloody love it or it's three in the morning. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that moment where someone, some stranger stood on this, this front row that I'd never met, yeah singing singing my words or our words back to us it that became a bit of a looking back a bit of a drug 
and I wanted to play in bigger rooms in front of more people and write some more songs. Where was it that then? Was it like Grapes, Boardwalky type of place? It would have been Grapes and Boardwalk, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They were the first haunts for everybody who um, was young enough to miss the upstairs room and the Grapes. You missed a trick there because... Yeah. We don't have we don't have those rooms anymore. I don't think. And well, I, I'm saying this um, venues across the city will be screaming at me. Yeah. Um, so that's probably false what I've just said. But I don't know. There was just something magical about the grapes, and obviously it's nostalgia for me, and it's me looking back. But to have a boozer downstairs mm-hmm. and a little room with a with a venue upstairs, and it's where Melbourne played the first gigs. It's where yeah. Monkeys played the first gigs. We did a couple of gigs together up there. Yeah. Um, yeah, just pretty special. And obviously, shout out to the Boardwalk as well, which was integral mm. to, to bringing all these bands on that you that you now know. Well, I, I remember playing the Grapes many times on a, with Ash, the sound guy, just yeah, telling yeah, us yeah. that everything sounded wrong. Yeah, he wasn't <laughs> he, a happy chap, was he? <laughs> you were funny. Um, yeah, but he was one of those guys, and you have it, don't you? You will have it in every music scene. Oh, yeah, he once went on tour with whatever, you <laughs> yeah. know, who supported yeah. U2's dog or something. I don't know. <laughs> And and as as kids, you're like, oh my god, he knows what he's doing. When in actual fact, yeah. did he? You know, none of us did, and that's fine. Well, I, I saw Richard Orley's do it. Like he would, he's doing like a little thing at the Grapes soon, or it might have happened. Um, oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, he's got his best of album out, and he's doing like a. I think it's like a competition thing just for a few people downstairs in Grapes, yeah. just because that 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 venue. You know, people of a certain age like myself, you know, look fondly back at the grapes and it probably oh, wasn't yeah. appreciated as much as what it what it is now. I actually tried to go down and do some filming and I went upstairs and it's an old mm. lady's flat now, that the the venue bit. Yeah. It's an old landlo- uh, landlady's flat, I think. So that yeah. Yeah, it, it is nostalgic, isn't it? It is it and they've still, it is, they've still got hopefully like a new generation will yeah. they'll find their all the new haunts and their new places to go. Yeah. Um and it and it should have nothing to do with me. And I'm I'm kind of a big believer in that. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? They don't. They shouldn't want me yeah. cluttering it up. Not that not that music should have an age on it. You know, <laughs> yeah, okay. you know what I mean? Though I think yeah. there's a bit of a there's a bit of magic in that like youth thing and yeah, yeah, yeah. Having, having your own your own places yeah. is sort of counter sort of culture to to what you've known before. Yeah, well, the Monkeys supported my band the first ever gig they played at the Grapes upstairs. Did they? Um, yeah, that that were the that that's like my story that I've dined on for all my life. Yeah, you know, say, when... that sounds it's a bit like the the Sex Pistols one, isn't it? Is it is <laughs> yeah. it the Free Trade Hall or something? Where yeah, these... all the Sheffield, all Manchester with it. Everybody, yeah, we've all got a monkey story. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, good days, good days. So yeah, I, I can remember like you know seeing Milburn, uh, you know, start selling out venues, and we played the Grapes, we played the Boardwalk, and we actually supported you guys at the Boardwalk when you'd sold it out. So it was like, mm. it was like as a support band, it was like massive for us to be playing to more than twenty five people in, a, in at the Boardwalk when you know I, we didn't even know people stood at the back of the Boardwalk. It was a long thin venue. Yeah, was, we, we yeah. can just remember people st- like it stood at the front a little bit, but it goes right far to the back. And I can just remember trying to walk to Bog Front backstage bit, and it took about an hour because it was just that rammed to get, <laughs> and it was that hard work to get through the crowd. I'm like, this is something going on here. That must have been nice for you guys to sell out, yeah, to start selling think- out gigs and get to that stage. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot put on to selling stuff out. Yeah. Um, you know, to put that sell out sticker on on mm. a gig is a, is a, is a lovely feeling. It's a bit of an ego trip, but yeah. and it, and it, you don't have to do it to have a great a great gig. Mm. But the first time or first few times you do it, and it's like nothing else, is it? It's like it's a little bit like football, yeah, or, or maybe theatre, but not quite. It's a bit more raucous mm. when you walk into a room that's full of 
people all anticipating something. Yeah. There's a there's some there's something. I mean, I don't. I'm I'm not into like, you know, um, what's the best phrase for this? I'm not into to sort of magic, <laughs> or I'm not believing spirit the spirit world or anything okay. like that. But yeah. I do think when you walk into a room full of people that are ready for a gig. Mm. There's something in the air. There's something. There's some electricity, and yeah. I, 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 I don't think I sound a bit crazy saying that. I think most people would agree. But then I, I read something this morning. Um, you know, Johnny Mars released a book about his guitars, mm. and he said something ridiculous like, "The Smith songs were in that guitar before I even owned it." And <laughs> yeah, I just, okay, right. blood bollocks. I was like, "Shut up, mate." Um, but I do, I do believe that, uh, <laughs> a, like a big sporting event or a gig, yeah. those two things that there's just something. Like when you walk, for example, when I walked into Hillsborough on that League One second leg semi final against Peterborough, yeah. it just felt felt like something was going to happen, and it did. And it's the yeah. same with gigs; you feel like something special, um, yeah. and selling out kind of increases your chances of having that. What would you like? We, we mentioned that picture that you posted from two thousand and five. What would you say to those boys now? Uh, with all the history and all the new chapters that you've had in your life post Melbourne, what would you say to those boys? I'd say I'd say sort your jeans out. <laughs> yeah, straight away. Take the take the black take the leather shoes off. You don't need them, mate. You don't, you don't need them. You'll, you're on a football you'll... pitch with leather shoes. What you're thinking? Yeah, idiot. <laughs> um, what would I say to him? I don't know. I, I would I would say enjoy it more. Is what mm. I would say. Yeah. I do. I did for a long time look back at that period. Um, when I was closer to it, feeling frustrated with it um, and unsatisfied and I felt like we didn't get what we deserved. Mm. Um, now, I don't feel like that at all, but I think it, it ate away at us because, you know, every interview I do always goes in this direction and yeah. I don't have a problem with that because, yeah. you know, um, what happened in Sheffield at that time with the Arctic Monkeys is it will never be repeated. Mm. Um but them coming along was amazing. They deserved everything they got. But it seemed to be that there was only room in the national and international media for, for one Sheffield band. Um, and we started, quickly got painted as these sort of like monkeys wannabes. Whereas anybody who took 10 minutes just to dig a little deeper would have realised we were around we were before first, them. Yeah. We were doing their own our own thing. We did gigs together. We yeah. sort of, when they do some demos, we'd hear it and go, that's good. Let's uh, do something better or let's try and match it. You know, that, and that's, yeah. and that's how scenes evolve. And, yeah. you know, if you, if you zoom in in any other part of the country, there are multiple bands doing things and that's how you yeah. get your momentum. And, and they just happen to be doing something incredible. Well, I'm not yeah. going to try and challenge that at all. Um, but it just seemed that if, if it's happening in London, it's the scene and it's cool. If it's happening in Manchester, it's the scene and it's cool. If it's yeah. happening in Liverpool, it's the scene and it's cool. If it's happening in Sheffield, sorry, we're full lads. We've got one of you. Interesting. Um, and we, I, I don't know. I, I felt a little, um, a little like we'd underachieved. I think we had a lot of potential. I still mm. believe the people in that band are very talented, um, and they'll all go on and do that. Have gone on to do their own thing. Um, but I think you only get one moment. Well, that was our moment. Right. I don't think you can't ever recreate those forces being yeah. being around and the age of any everybody and, and where the media's attention were. Um, so I spent a lot a long time feeling a bit unfulfilled by it. So I would tell those lads to to smarten up, um, get a grip, and, and stand back and just see what you did actually achieve and, and enjoy right. it. And I think that was probably the main reason why we split up. 
because yeah. time's a weird thing, isn't it? it? It bends and it morphs and it changes as you get older. Um, and everything. I mean, I was I was twenty one when we split up, yeah. wow. so I'd done all. I, you know, pretty much we've been together for I don't know five or six years, and I was still only twenty one. But that was everything to me, and that was my life, and. Mm. It felt like a long time, whereas now it was ridiculous to look back and think that's you know a chunk of your life because it's not. You blink and you're 21. Um, I, 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 I look back at myself at 21 and think I didn't know who I were. I didn't know anything. So to have, to have that kind of, you know, I can, I, I can appreciate the frustrations around you, around seeing your noisy neighbours over there, just getting all the, getting everything that happened to him, and then there's no room for... Hi guys, we were a first type thing. We're doing good stuff too. Um, I can imagine yeah. that taking its toll on on you all as well, really. When uh, you're at such a young age, you're as young, well. yeah, you're you're more vulnerable, aren't you? You're more vulnerable yeah. to what someone yeah. might write about you. You're more vulnerable to yeah. to to getting ignored. Um, whereas actually, I really couldn't care less now. Mm. Um, and then when you can't care less, things tend to happen to you. Actually, yeah, um, yeah. I think. Um, what I would say is just stand back and, and look at what you have achieved and, and what we, we, we have done and what we continue to do yeah. is I always, I always equate it to football. I know it's just, sorry, um, <laughs> it's okay. simplistic knuckle drag at me. <laughs> um, but essentially we got to, we got to play professional football. We mm. got to play at a good yeah. standard. We, we, we had a bit in someone's handoff to play for a team in league one. Yeah. I had a bit in someone's handoff at, at 10 years of age. The problem was we've got our mates who were winning the champions league. Yeah. Um, you know, and when you compare yourself that way, it was it was hard to take. But we did we did and and have done and continue to do amazing things that we should be grateful for. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, I found it interesting uh, in a future episode of the podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's got... me being zen, by the way. <laughs> there you go. Okay, fair enough. On the uh, it's already been recorded, and I had a chat with a mutual friend of ours, Rob Nicholson, that his brother mm. was in the Monkeys at the time, and mm. it, and he said something interesting to me around uh, your circle of friends. So you know, John Rev, you played in Rev and the Makers, all that kind of stuff. Uh, John Windle, Little Mante, uh, Harrison's at the time, all, all these people within the, the Sheffield music community. And, and you guys are, are close friends. You've got a community there still. It, mm. it, it's, it, they, they found it really interesting that you just, and there's only your group of friends really has this, I don't know if the right word is to call it a cloud, but you know, the, the, the relationship with the Arctic Monkeys surrounds your f- friendship, your, your close friendship circle. Yeah. Um, sure. he, he found that quite like, interesting and can take its toll as well sometimes as well on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot of sort of casualties from that era. Yeah. Um, in a lighthearted and quite a serious matter. Um, it's like a shared experience, isn't it? And, yeah. and everything you did was defined against them. Yeah. It'd have been great if like, one of us was a chef and the other one was a, mm. a photographer at the time or another one was a, an artist, you know, yeah. a painter, because then there the wouldn't be a comparison. There'd be a, yeah. a nice creative scene, but we were all in bands. Yeah. Um, and I think when, and it, you know, didn't just happen to, to the likes of Milburn, when we we speak about this a lot, when you look back, there's, there's people that aren't with us anymore. Yeah. There's people that really struggle with it. Um, and this is not even just people in the bands. It's people who did merch for the bands. It's yeah. people who came to the gigs because when you're 16 and your experiences, 16 to 20, I suppose, are like touring and playing in front of thousands of people, yeah. what happens when that gets taken away yeah. and that stops? You think, mm. you know, you, you don't appreciate it. You're like, well, you want more. Um, and it's really hard to, to 
to to get your head round. Whereas if it happens later in your twenties, you know what life's about. Yeah. You know it ain't always going to be this way. Just go and enjoy it. Um, and yeah, Rob's probably right. We all we all sort of wanted a bit, and we all thought we could have it. And the truth is, you can't. You know, yeah. there can only be for bands of that level. There's there's not much room. Um, so yeah. It, it was it was almost too close. We could touch it. We could feel it. We were a part of it. Yeah. Um, but it does it does make a it does leave a bit of a you know wake. Yeah. And, destructive wake. And and you mentioned that you know all your interviews tend to go this way. It's just people are fascinated, aren't they, with the relationship with it all? Does you know does, yeah. does it ever get a little bit like? <laughs> I'd rather not talk about Octopus Monkeys this time. Um. Yeah. It yeah. does. But. Uh, they are one of the biggest bands in the world. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that's just how it is. Yeah. And I'm not up my arse enough to think that. <laughs> so, you know, that that doesn't yeah. matter. So, look, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And so, Melbourne stopped then. Did, did you did you move away from music completely then when the band when the band split up? Was it 2006? Uh, was it 2006? 2008. 2008, yeah. Uh, yeah, we did our last gig in May 2008. Mm. We, you know, threw the toys out of the pram. Well, that's it. We're done. <laughs> okay. And we sold the Academy out in ridiculously quick time. And they even asked us to do another one. And we were like, no, this is the last this one. Like we honestly at that age, which is the right thing. We couldn't care less about money. Yeah. We, you know, but you know, we've got really good offers on the table. Like, nope, mm. not doing it. We're doing one last gig, which I'm proud of us for doing that actually. Yeah. Um, Obviously, it wasn't the last gig, was it? Oh, I remember when you did like five or six in a row when you came back, didn't you? But let's. Oh hope, yeah, let's we we changed by that point. <laughs> yeah, we changed. Enough. Yeah, we changed. We needed a new bathroom, so you know. Um, and I think we deserve. Yeah, we deserved it. We, yeah, you know, yeah. we kind of got what we deserved in the end. Yeah. Um, so, what was the question? No, what, so, so you split up in two thousand eight. You did that last gig. Oh yeah. Then, yeah. then what did you move into? Yeah. Then? Did you put the guitar down? We split or? Up in May. Split up in May, and I signed on to uh, a degree course at Sheffield University in September. It was that quick. Wow. Um, just as, as soon as I knew that was going to be our last gig, I was like, what's next? So I signed up to the history course. I kind of probably was always destined to go on. Yeah. Um, still doing still doing some music. I did did a couple of, a couple of records, or like one and a half records with yeah. the book club, Yeah. which were my mates from school mm. who I lived with throughout university. Um so we enjoyed that. We did a few cool things and we never really got going. Yeah. And then sort of life caught up with us. You know, once you finish your degree, people are having to get jobs and yeah. it gets really hard going down to a cold and wet practice room on a Tuesday night when you've got to be up in the morning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed the book club stuff was fun. It was just really fun because we were all sort of mates, not <laughs> mates by choice <laughs> as opposed to the Melbourne stuff, which is kind of like, Kind of like Kings of Leon, the Melbourne stuff. It's like you, you're kind of family and you yeah. spend half your time bickering. Um, yeah, so the book club stuff was fun. And then I did a master's because I did not not know what to, what to do. And at that yeah. point, that's when John rang me about playing for Rev. Mm. So that kind of, the Rev stuff scratched an itch for quite a while. While in my private life and personal life, I went into teaching. Yeah. Um, and got married and had kids and all that sort of thing. But I was always doing something. Yeah. I was always writing. I was always playing. Yeah. Um, and then eventually I've, I've, I got myself together enough to, to sort my first good cop, bad cop record out. Cause it was something that had been on the back burner for ages. I'd had, a, yeah. I, I got tunes. I just didn't know what to do with it. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I took the plunge on, on that note. Well, I'm really excited to talk about the new album that you've got coming out, Good Cop, Bad Cop. Uh, but just to hover around just playing with Rev for a little bit, what was it like to take a bit of a, you know, to be at the side of the stage playing bass? 
for, contrary a for a different band. Contrary to popular belief, I really enjoyed it. I don't <laughs> think everyone believes you when I say that. Why? Like, why, why don't people believe you? Because they th- I think, uh, even John himself, I right. think because I'm a front man. Okay. Front man. Right. Um, I think people, and, and, and I'm outspoken and, yeah. and whatnot, and I do my own thing, and I do my own Christmas gig. Yeah. Um, I don't know. People tend to think like, well, "What didn't you want to sing?" I'm like, "No, I did not want to <laughs> sing. I, I didn't want to sing. I wanted yeah. to play bass well, which I did. Yeah. Um, I wanted to sit in the back of the van. I wanted no consultation over anything. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to play some gigs because yeah. when you peel it back, this that's a huge part of the enjoyment. Like yeah. I was saying before, just playing in front of a crowd yeah. that are appreciating what you do. Um, and we did loads of good stuff and and loads of great gigs. Um. So yeah, no, I, I I loved not being the the one to go to sort of thing, or to do the interviews. Yeah. No offense, or or to make decisions or whatever. I just turned up and and got paid for what I did and did it as good as I could. Yeah. So I went just so I can keep the timeline in my head a little bit. When what years were it that you were in Reverend and the Makers? Uh, between about twenty twelve, I think, and twenty twenty one. It's about oh, nine okay. years. Oh I think, wow! Until. Yeah, a long time. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and in the meantime you built up your christmas gigs which i love yeah. seeing I, I love seeing the video for them every year uh, my favorite was the bracknell one last year i thought that was fantastic uh, and I, yeah, the, I i always remember when joe's announcing a new christmas gig because it's it's always going to be funny yeah well I've, I've kind of i've kind of bottled it this year i just did a bit of a montage of last year um just because i wanted to get the sort of vibe across to people but yeah i yeah. I, I did go through a period of trying to make funny ones which I th- actually they were pretty good they were good um, and I've I've probably put too much pressure on myself every year to deliver some sort of yeah. comedy thirty seconds, but um, I'll get back on it next year. Yeah. So so how does that feel like a per, just a personal project? You know, your Joe Connell's friends at uh, Christmas at friend friends. Oh God, what's it? How, how do you word it? Joe Connell uh, and friends. No, no. Joe Connell Jr. Friend, and friends. Yeah, that's what uh, I do. And it's always around Christmas, and it always it sells is. out, and it's grown nicely over the years, hasn't it? Where you, where you, where you, where you sell out at Sheffield Auto Academy. Hope the venue is going to be okay, by the way, as well. Oh yeah, so do I. Yeah, um, yeah that started a, as a bit of an accident. Mm. I, was, I did the first, very first one upstairs in the Shakespeare. Wow. Do you know where that is? Yeah, yeah. Um, I went to see Mike Hughes. Did you? Yeah, uh, yeah. A few years ago, when he was still up in Sheffield, uh, with before breakfast, I think the last time I went to that venue quite a while ago. Yeah, I didn't realise it still did gigs, but apparently it's yeah, back on. Yeah, yeah stuff. Yeah. So that's not that's the nice little room upstairs, and that was just like I don't know. I'll do something. I wanted to do a mm. gig. I could barely play a guitar. I can't really play now, but I yeah. really couldn't then. Mm. Um, and people showed up, and it went nuts. I think people have been starved of the Melbourne thing, so they just wanted yeah. to sing along, and. Um, Someone behind the bar, the landlady ran up and said, you're going to have to stop because the ceiling's caving in because people were bouncing around. And that's when I thought I realised that oh, people still really want this. So like you say, you just got every year was a bigger venue. I moved venues quite a lot um, yeah. and I really enjoyed that because it kept it fresh. But mm. we've arrived at the O2 for the last three or four years just because yeah. it's the right size and, yeah. you know, there's not many other venues in Sheffield that can offer it. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's been amazing. Um, people just showing up from from all over, like friends I've I've met along the way, people I've known for years. I've been just, to a couple, and I'm always surprised up. how you how you how you try and top the year before. Because I can remember seeing self esteem there with with you, and you know John's there, you know Ed Cousins, you know all, all these, you know 
names of the uh, Sheffield um, supporting your yeah. night, that must have been really nice as well. It's been great, yeah. Um, and you're right, it's really hard to sort of <laughs> try and try and better. I need to get out and make more friends. This is my problem. Okay, right, uh, but I don't get out of the house as much these days. Yeah, yeah so uh, Rebecca, self-esteem, did it before she was self-esteem, really. Yeah. Like She'd yeah. just released a record, um, but she wasn't what everyone knows today, yeah. which is quite sweet. I love it how... Yeah. She did it before she was this thing, and then and then last year she came back and did it again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Tom Grennan did it when yeah wow. he was just coming up, yeah. um, which was cool. Yeah, I've had I've had loads of people. I've Matt from the Pigeons come down, mm-hmm. sing a cut. He, he was he was Jarvis Cocker for a night, which was cool. Um, I've had loads of different people come up come aboard. So it's it's just you know, like you say, it's really hard to try and top the year before. But I don't know what I've, I've kind of chilled out a little bit because I realised that people just want to have a great time anyway yeah. it's it's two days before christmas so people just want to have a, a load of fun so don't you know obviously i want the gig to be great yeah. but people are there because it's christmas and they just want to have yeah. a good sing song so it will be what it will be yeah is there, any, is there anything you can tease for it there's a link in the description to tickets within this podcast as well ladies and gentlemen if you fancy it oh, is there anything you can professional tease? uh <laughs> Absolutely not, no, because I never right. know what's going to happen for about <laughs> right, two days okay. before. Fair, fair enough. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not that <laughs> organised. Um, yeah. But it's always good, and that's what matters. Yeah. No, brilliant. Well, so, so yeah, so Millbill came back. You had your big return. Did you kind of get that out of your system just before we move on to Good Cop Bad Cop? Because I know you know I'm passionate to know about this album. I'm desperate to know about it. But just just to touch on the the Millburn return, you know, you did your five or six nights at the O2. You came back, went out on tour again. Did it kind of mm. like uh, was it brought, you brought an album out did that kind of like um give you closure for that a little bit or is it still playing i think the so there? yeah i think so i'm not saying it's it's done yeah because um, i think it'll never be done because we made that mistake once before right um it just might be like this dormant volcano for a long time mm. um yeah i think you're right i think we kind of got a little bit of attention let's say or yeah we got the gigs we sort of deserved in the end. Um, that was just quite a nice story, really, having having not mm. really hung out with each other for the best part of 10 years. Yeah. Um, probably because we have been so close, it's it's hard to sort of redefine your relationship when you're not in a band together. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it was really nice to to do this these amazing gigs with, with me, with my old mates and my brother again. Yeah. Um, and we did, like, yeah, when when those gigs were selling out in Sheffield, it was pretty ridiculous. I think we did best part of ten thousand tickets yeah. coming back. Um, for you know, from a little indie band that just used to want to copy others, it's it's a bit of an up yours, isn't it? Um, yeah. And we've probably, ironically, outlasted. We've outlasted the enemy um, yeah. in, in paper form, anyway. Yeah. Um, and maybe journalists that that. Um, had certain opinions. Not that I really couldn't care less anymore, to be yeah. quite honest. Yeah. But it's it's there's a bit of sweetness to it, I suppose. Yeah, nice one, nice one. So, have you always had an itch to do? So, where did the itch for a good cop bad cop start from? How did that um, how did that create itself? How did that come about? Uh, it was out of necessity and out of right. a necessity of. I still want to make music. Yeah, but as you get older, it's quite difficult to get everyone in a room together, even if you've got mates that are musicians yeah. and not that desirable. Like I, I, like I said, I don't want to, I don't want to go down to a practice room on a in the middle of winter for a couple of hours after teaching yeah. all day. I just don't want to do it. Um, 
so it was just something I sort of came up with him on my own on my laptop, messing around, and I think that was beneficial because it made me made me program a lot of drums, it made me program a lot of sounds, it made me do a lot of things on keyboards and synths, um, which I think push has pushed the sound in a different direction, mm. and I'm sort of really gone for that like synthy thing, like eight oh eight drum machines, and just explored that a little bit. Mm. Um, so yeah, I've always I'm always going to write songs. It's kind of what I do, um, but good cop, bad cops forced me to do it in a different way. Um, and to me, it sounds fresh and it sounds interesting and it, it sounds like now I'm not trying to recreate indie bangers from 2003. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to write tunes that a 36 year old fella would write about his life. Yeah, I, I, I um, remember when, when was the first time you, you brought a good cop, bad cop record out? How many years ago? So was that, that was 2019. 2019. I went to, yeah. um, I went to LA to record it. I mean, I don't help myself with the monkeys thing. I believe. Um, <laughs> well, I was going to I ask the, you about the man, the the Matt Helders link. Where, yeah, where I made the first record with Matt. Yeah. Um, in his, which is yeah, again, looking back, <laughs> is an amazing thing to have done. Um, he just he just had his garage converted into a studio, right. as you do. Yeah. Um, and I was, I am, the the one and only thing that's ever been recorded there. Because okay. uh, shortly after he split up with his missus and sold his house, <laughs> oh, right. okay, so, so I have that accolade. Um, so yeah, went over to LA for a month, one January, one dark January. I wasn't teaching at this point; I sort of had having some time off, um, and made the record, and it was one of the best things I ever did. Um, not being in this country in January was great, <laughs> and just having the time to really put into my music, and I was really like blown away with the results. Mm. Um, and hopefully it, it progressed the, my sound and, and what I'm about and challenged me to, to look at things a different way. So that was 2018-19. And then, like, life gets in the way. I'm, yep. I'm three kids. I'm three kids in now. Three kids um, deep, okay. And stopping, just for the record. <laughs> okay. If you're watching this, Mrs. Scarnell, we are okay. stopping. Yeah. Um, Does she agree so with you? Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay. After after the last couple of nights, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah fair enough. Long nights, yeah. um, yeah. And so the time's been. I've, again, I yeah. started writing some tunes. I had, yeah. had them on my laptop, yeah. um, and I just thought, right, if I don't get get these done, they'll just forever sit eternally yeah. in some folder on my laptop. And I hate that idea. I hate it. Um, so I decided to to do another one, and I think the timing was right. You know, people. <laughs> It's been a few years since the last record. Um, and again, don't help myself. I ended up doing it with uh, Gold Teeth, which is yeah. uh, Rob's brother, yeah. Andy Nicholson, yeah. the original bass player from the Arctic Monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just how You've only got yourself it. to blame, you know, Joe. You've I have, I know, no, no. no. Um, we're, all, we're all old friends, and yeah. they're the only two guys I know who've got the bloody time and the yeah, money to put, put a couple of weeks aside for me. I did find it quite... Uh, and, I, and I can appreciate this being frustrating for you, that when you started to do a few good cop, bad cop gigs, people were expecting Matt Elders to be there online. Oh, no, yeah. yeah <laughs> Just was, because he, was, he produced uh, it, people thought, oh, there's going to be a monkey there. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing how, how many times you have to spell it out. I yeah. spell it out in three or four I, different I can ways. remember you doing it, yeah. <laughs> and I was even contacting the promoters saying, yeah. because like the, the promoters were quite happy to flirt yeah, with the yeah, truth sure. yeah. for obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, no, please, please, please don't do that. Please don't do that. But, you know, I even got, I think even Matt's manager got angry at yeah. one point. Yeah. And I'm like, look, I have said, it's playing black and white. I have clearly said yes. what's going on. 
so by the by the end of the tour, I was introducing each member of the band as not Matt Helders <laughs> um, to the sarcastic applause. But <laughs> what can you do? What yeah, no. Well, I I know about Goldteeth music. Is it Clubs and Spades? Is my favourite tune that he did quite a few years ago. I think is it Clubs and Spades. I can't remember. Uh, it, I'm rubbish yeah, remembering names like, and stuff. A thing called Card Gang. He was in once, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's still making music. He's yeah. so he back to the good cop stuff. He. Yeah. Um, he set a studio up in his in his back room of his of his new house, mm. and we just sort of made it in his room in his nice. back room because yeah. I, I was dead keen not to have a big live drum set up and a big you know a big live room yeah. a big expensive studio because mm. for the music I'm making and I want to make I really don't need it mm. I want to be I want to be forced into doing stuff by the stuff the instruments that are around me and what yeah. I can use. Um, so we made it in his back room with a couple of synths, drum machines, and even for the drums. We'd, we'd get drummers, we'd use two or three drummers to record themselves. Yeah. And I'd say to them, look, don't even listen to the song, really. We've got a rough idea of a beat. Just play along for a little bit. And all we're going to do is go into your audio file and we're going to chop it all up anyway. Yeah. Because we sort of wanted to make mm. the drums feel a, a bit more electronic and a bit different. So we didn't want anyone to learn anything. Yeah. No. And that was really liberating and really quick and really creative because then Andy could get the drum sounds back and then just yeah. piss around. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, no one asked, had to book out like a five hundred pound a day studio to get a perfect drum sound. Yeah. We weren't really bothered yeah. um, because we were going to mess around with all the sounds anyway. So yeah, um, really, really proud of this one. It's sort of my most introspective, honest thing I've ever written. Um, and yeah, what, it's what, not kind of, really... what kind of thing? What kind of messages are you, do you touch on with, with your stuff? Well, like, like always, it's it's kind of. I, I think I said it, I'll say this in a different interview. It, it's writing songs for me now. I've come to realize what, why I do it. And it's just like, it's essentially therapy, isn't it? Yeah. If, if, you know, I'm not trying to, no one's going to listen to me about Israel and Palestine. Yeah. Uh, and it's not really my role anyway. You know, I will give an opinion when asked, but who, who cares about Joe Connell's opinion on that? But what, what I am an expert in is what's going through my own head and my own life. And, mm. and hopefully people will, um, will relate. So yeah, like in the last three or four years, it's, it's fatherhood, it's death. Yeah. I've had, you know, some, been some really bad times recently. Yeah. Um, it's why I've, I've, the song, you know, the marble zone is about actually writing songs. Um, the new record's called Welcome to the Marble Zone, which is a reference to the sonic level um, back when we were playing the Mega Drive in the 90s. Right. Um, but I, I almost see songwriting as a bit of a game now. It's a, it's just a game I can't stop playing. Um, so a couple of the songs are, are almost like, like the, the opening track, Marble Zone, is about me writing songs um, yeah. and what goes through my head and how I do it and why I do it and the space I come in to do it. Um and when I've when I've written a song, it's, it's the equivalent. I don't know if any, anyone can relate to this, but it's the equivalent of like having been for a run, right. or or a long walk. It's there's some sort of clarity there afterwards, and I just feel so much better. And it, it if I think I've written something of quality, I probably come uh, loads of endorphins are probably released. I don't know what it is, but mm. it's better than going to the pub, isn't it? Yeah, and it's much cheaper. Does it, it by recording things a different way and and completely surrounding yourself in a different space to make new music? Has that has that caused you to go in a different direction to where you thought you might go? Sometimes, yeah, yeah, it makes you 
push the boundaries a little bit of of sounds um and not having people there to play the instruments is kind of like well you've got to do it yeah so and you haven't got this instrument so you're best using a different instrument <laughs> yeah um and yeah uh, and it's led me to get into like different different artists so i've been listening right. for this for this last record i don't know i've got a playlist somewhere but a bit of craft work in there um and i really got into you know you might not think you mean you might not think it's too much of a too much of a distance for me anyway but i really started to enjoy new order oh. go back and listen to new order a bit more um because i love how they sort of blended that dance thing mm. that synth thing with just sort of good pop records yeah. um yeah duran duran who else that i know that is a bit odd um <laughs> but yeah and, and, any just, places that you thought oh god i don't like this space <laughs> did it take you any um, places like I normally do that to myself for my songwriting. Oh, okay. I, I, I'm obsessed with, uh, I'm a little bit obsessed with melody. Right. Um, my sort of ultimate, for me, the greatest sort of melody maker of, of our generation right. is Julian Casablancas. Right. And how he just layers sort of chorus upon chorus upon chorus upon chorus, which is kind of addictive. So yeah, I have to sort of stop myself from doing that and sometimes realise that less is more and space is fine. And actually, this song doesn't need a chorus, and you can just go back to just the groove or whatever. Um, something like you get from like a Talking Heads, maybe because right. I don't know if you've seen the reissue of Stop Making Sense, but it's incredible. Um, and then you realise that all their songs are just a groove, and he just does different things over that groove. Mm. And just knowing that actually, just sometimes being a bit relentless with something, it, it's mm. got that hypnotic, hypnotic quality. Yeah that I didn't always realise. I always thought, well, the song has to go here, then there, and then it has to move. Yeah. But it doesn't, actually, because mm. the human ear loves something repetitive just to, to sort of set into and settle into. Now it's finished, would you change anything now after you've heard it a few times after? Uh, no, because I, d- I don't think you can ever say that. I don't think it's fair to say that. Yeah, I think uh, you, you end up turning into the Lars, don't you? <laughs> okay, fair you know, enough. re-recorded that record about six times. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I think you've just got to leave it and accept that it was a moment in time. It, it's yeah, only okay. ever a moment yeah. in time, and you just track, you capture that. It's like a, it's like a photograph, and you move on, and it's parked yeah. and it's done. I think all great art is done that way. Um, I'm not saying it's great art, but it's art of some form. Um, what happens inside you to know that it's you're finished? So right, I'm putting it down. What 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 goes on in your head to just uh, say? Like, I think it's just, a, it's just a feeling. Yeah, it's just yeah. a feeling. It's like we've got it in this sort of like the songs in this guys in this mm. mold. I don't want to write another one in this mold. So we're done. Yeah. Do you know when it ceases to be exciting? It's right. like, well, I've got a really good tune like that. I'm all yeah. I'm starting. And it, it did happen on this. There's a song that didn't make it on the record because it yeah. just sounded like a, a weaker version of what's already there. Right. Okay. And I was like, "Well, just no. If I think yeah. like that, then no one else is going to bloody like it." Um, yeah. Are you just ready to sort of move on from that mm. that collection of sounds? Um, or just so I've not really written a song since I've done a few bits, sort of yeah. little daft ideas, but and that's all right. I've sort of learned that when when it's right and the time's right, I'll I'll, I'll be able to write tunes because I always have done. Um, but you've got to want to do it, and you've got to have yeah. something to write about. Um, so yeah, it was just felt right to, I got, got my 10, 11 tunes that we're happy with. Mm. 
you know, I, I'm not one to write 50 songs. It actually infuriates me when people say that, <laughs> which is possibly wrong. But I'm like, why, why are you having to write 50? Like, yeah. 40 of them are going to be shy. Yeah. Like, what I'll do is I'll start to write something and I'll just bin it off. Right. And, and so in you, my head, you, I've you... saved myself about three weeks' work there. Okay. So uh, you do hear a lot of people that never chuck anything away and they, they've just got WAV files and have been over there somewhere that they'll, they'll dip into yeah. if they're lacking ideas or something like that, but that's not how you, yeah. you do it. Yeah. There's a little, yeah, there's a little bit of that. What, yeah. what I'm saying is I just don't pursue it. If I yeah. do a little bit yeah. and I'm like, right. and if I don't, in my head, if I don't think about it like three days later, yeah, just it come pops back into my head. It's, it's not worth knowing. Um, mm. so I probably do write loads of songs but i write loads of half songs and then just think nah not bothered and i just think the practice of writing oh for this for this album we wrote eight (laughs) songs it's like well how impersonal how sort of vacuous how sort of factory created music it does can you tell it angers me a little bit (laughs) yeah um because you can't have 80 genuine tunes about things that move you it's that you just it's impossible yeah i don't know maybe i'm just being stuck in my ways but um the, the process just, is fascinating yeah, yeah. It? It never on, get, it, it, the process is fascinating and it, it never gets it's different for everybody and that's why i love speaking to so many different people every week on this podcast because everybody's different everybody does it their own way it's just fascinating to see your process and now you've created this you know amazing new album that's on its way well yeah i suppose the, the counter to that is i could work harder and i could write more tunes <laughs> right but, fair enough. but life is is where it is for me yeah, um okay. and i I made this record in three weeks. You know, I only have a finite amount of time to give yeah. to it. I'd love to give more, but maybe it works because I don't have more time and I've just got to invest everything I've got at that moment. Um, just just on, just on Andy's work on the album there. Did, yeah. Uh, what, what, what Andy dust did he sprinkle on it? What, what extras did he, did it bring to the album having Andy part of it? So what from, from his time in, in music, he, after his experiences, he went a totally different way yeah. sonically. Mm. He sort of he he was all sorry. He was always someone to come down more of a hip hop route, mm. um, and more samples and guest vocalist and all that. And that's why I wanted to work with him because mm. I didn't want to work with an indie producer because yeah. we'd just make another indie record. And by indie, I mean yeah. like a guitar led thing. Yeah. Um, and I kind of said to him, "These are the tunes. I've, they're all pretty much mapped out, and I'm, you know, I'm pretty." confident in structures and, mm. and melodies and stuff like that but he was definitely a producer on it like well what if we just use this sound what if i make the drums sound like a, a hip-hop kit what if i take some kick drums out of this to give it a bit yeah. more room and what if what if i do this edit where it sort of staggers a little bit and yeah. just things that he'd do to his tunes mm. which give it a bit of flavor a bit of a bit of like a, a hip-hop vibe maybe um and and also, it's really important to work with someone you trust. And you, for me, you don't have to have known them for a long time, but you feel like you can say what you want and connect yeah. and the, you get each other. And Andy, obviously, uh, he did that for me because um, we've, we've known each other for now best part of 20 years, which yeah. is quite scary. Yeah. Well, what would you say to people that are hover, hovering over the pre-save link for the new album now, mate, because the, the link in, is in the description of this podcast to pre... Uh, you can you can get Marble Zone, the single. You can get well, Welcome to the Marble Zone, the album. The links are all in the description. What would you say to these people that are hovering over it, Joe? Oh, God, this is like a UNICEF plea, isn't it? <laughs> um, Gun to head. Just buy it. Yeah, don't don't think, just buy it. <laughs> I would say, unlike quite a 
quite a, I don't know, in an artistic sense, it's, yeah. I always say this, but it's, it's probably the best collection of songs I've, yeah. I've, I feel I've written um, in terms of like lyrical content. Mm. Um, I think I've, I've tried to push myself out of my comfort zone, so it's it's yeah. definitely worth a listen. Um, if you like it, if you you do, if you don't, you can bollocks. That's always been my attitude. And I think it should it's be everyone's enough, attitude. Yeah, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't try to compromise or try and change yeah. what we do. Um, but yeah, you should definitely buy it because yeah. more more to the fact, and I need to do more of this. Like selling stuff is really hard now, yeah. and it's horrible even talking about it. I hate talking about money and selling yeah. stuff. But you can, it's part of the world that the yeah. music music industry is in. You know, it was really uncool for bands to come and say, buy our record, because they didn't need to when you sold thousands upon thousands. Yeah. But now we don't. Like, if you get this vinyl, you're, you're owning something that not many people will have, mm. um, because most people choose to stream it. And from that stream, we get about 0.001 pence per stream. So yeah. it's kind of pointless for us. Um, and just selling a few of these things means that I can make another one. And that's the truth yeah. of it. Like I am not making this record to make money. Um, I got to work to make most of my money, and that's not a problem. That's what yeah. everyone does, and that's fine. Um, but if I want to be serious about doing more good cop, bad cop, or whatever other project, yeah, fundamentally, you need to sell a few bits of bits of wax, yeah. um, and other bits and bobs, and and most people appreciate that. And there's a lot of love gone into it, and um, hopefully, you can you can hear it. But there, there's my plea. Yeah, um, there we go. But do what do what you want, right? whatever. <laughs> Last question, Joe. Just before you go, is there any do any of your kids that you teach? Do any of them know about your music? Any Milburn fans in there or all like that, or good cop, bad cop fans? It's <laughs> it's weird that because I don't I when I, I've moved from a few different schools recently, yeah. but uh, I'm I'm now in one in Sheffield and I have been for a few years. I don't say anything. I yeah. like, I don't. Like someone might pop is you're in a band, aren't you, sir? And I'll just say, no, nah, I don't know what you're on about. I'll try and okay, like, right, but right. I'll try and add it off for as long as possible, mainly okay. because yeah. I just can't be bothered. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. there's, yeah. I've got there's loads to be getting on with, yeah. and, and yeah. you need to do your work. Yeah. But if someone comes in with a genuine sort of like, my dad knows your band and he oh, loves yeah. it, and I've yeah. listened to it, then I'm like, I obviously yeah. will engage because yeah. I'm not a moron. But <laughs> I'm not like I don't want to be selling my music to 13 year old kids. Yeah, yeah. I was just, fact, I was just like, interested who, who don't have any taste in music themselves. <laughs> yes, you know what I mean? You've got to earn this right, yeah. mate. Um, so it is, yeah, it's quite funny. And then, like, obviously, someone will pick up on it eventually, and then it'll go around school. That yeah. serves in a video. So oh, I had, right, um, okay. you know, the tune, Three Things. That, <laughs> I, I had that That's on YouTube. I wrote a song a few yeah. years ago. And for about 18 months, my form, two lads in my form every morning would just sit there and go, there are three things. <laughs> that's, that's it every single day. And I did all all good not to throw them out the window, but um, <laughs> yeah, grounded. They've sort they've sort of given up now because I'm like, lads, give it a rest, man. Oh, that's funny. Uh, but yeah, if <laughs> if people are into the music and they want to talk properly about yeah. music, then then I'm all then I'll do it. Like I'll put on, oh, this is what I used to listen to. Have you heard of this? You know, I'll try and give do that sort of like dad teachy thing yeah. where well, I'm not playing any modern stuff because that's your job, but I'll yeah. I'll play some some like clash or I'll play you some Lizzie or I'll play you whatever because yeah, yeah. you might not have heard of it and I think that's uh, that's an amazing power to have isn't it over like a younger generation yeah. like have you heard of this before and you yeah, can nice. remember the where you were when you yeah. you first heard Abbey Road or something like that that's what an amazing treat to be able to give someone and I feel like that about history like yeah if I'm if I'm the first person to tell these kids about 
Um, I don't know, like the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, how World War One kicked, yeah. World War One kicked off. You only get to tell them that once, and it's a great story. Yeah. And it's the same with music. It's like I'll be the first person to introduce you to that, which is quite cool. Oh, well said, mate. Well, Joe, I really appreciate you joining us for a chat today on the podcast. Um, You're welcome. Have you got much on for the rest of your day today? You got lots more. I have a massive pile of A-level marking about <laughs> the economic and social policies of JFK. Oh, right. So there you go. There so go. it's not too boring, but 40 of them is, yeah, is, got you. gets Autopilot. there. Autopilot. Yeah, I got you. Well, Joe, really appreciate you joining us on the podcast this week. Um, no really looking forward to the album, as I've mentioned a few times. Click on the link in the descriptions to uh, go and see him in Sheffield at the Christmas gig. Uh, the single Marble Zone, the album to the Marble Zone. Welcome to the Marble Zone, sorry. Um, there's loads of links in there for you to enjoy Joe, Joe's stuff and we'll we'll stick a, a Melbourne link in there and also people can have a why not? back at that why not mate but yeah thanks again pal nice one thanks for your time cheers nice one right, thanks again Joe mate nice one right enjoyed that you know such a, a, a long career in music and it's fascinating how people find their way through it all isn't it you know everybody's different everybody's got a story to tell thanks Joe mate really appreciated that thank you and do buy the album link in the description you can watch it as always you can watch it on YouTube too ladies and gentlemen you can subscribe on there it takes a minute like and subscribe like and subscribe like and subscribe like and subscribe uh, yeah you know you know the score so yeah that concludes another week here at the RGM Experience Podcast uh, I'm going to get off. <laughs> Thanks for joining us again for another week, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you again on Monday for a brand new episode. Uh, tell your friends about the podcast. Leave a five-star review. All the normal bollock bollocks. Uh, we really appreciate it. People are doing it. You know, you do have to spur them on by saying these things, I think, each week. People are doing it slowly, but thank you. Uh, you can leave a super thanks on, you, on YouTube, which is like a little bit of a tip, if you're asked. Uh, it all goes very well. It, it helps us keep the podcast alive. Ladies and gentlemen, as I said, I'm babbling. I'll see you next week. Toodaloo. Welcome to RGM. Are you in a band? Come and join us. Simply click on the RGM submission page, submit your music, and we'll sort the rest. Hello. Did you know that you can support our podcast in many ways? Within the description of this podcast, you will see a list of all the equipment that we use. These are Amazon affiliate links. Clicking on these links take you to Amazon. If you buy whatever you're planning that week, we get a small kickback and you get a parcel at no extra cost. We would really appreciate your support. Or you can just go old school and donate a pound or whatever you feel is appropriate in there. Please subscribe. Tell a friend about our show. And thank you for your support. And we'll see you next week. Come on, Wendy!